Chapter 21. Swithberth was thinking, well, how do you like that? Marigold could get to be queen of Zendelphia, then she and her two sisters could all be in the same kingdom. Olympia turned back to look at the doctor. He had one foot on Christian's shoulder for leverage while he got ready to yank the arrow from his chest. Wait, she called and hurried, neglecting to notice how Marigold was watching her through the narrowed, suspicious eyes. Do you think it's a good idea to take the arrow out? The doctor looked at her astonished. Well, it's customary procedure, he said. Most patients prefer to have their arrows removed rather than left in. Since he's unconscious, we can't ask him, so I'm using my best judgment. But won't removing it cause a lot of blood loss, Olympia asked. Why don't we leave it in for a while and see how he feels? The archer's arrows are often poisoned, your highness, the doctor, the doctor reminded her. Yes, yes, she said impatiently, waving her hand, but we don't know if this one was. Swithbert, no dummy, no matter what Olympia thought, knew exactly what was on her mind. Hey, he said, running to the wreck, get the arrow out now. The doctor, still gripping the arrow, involuntarily jerked it on Swithbert's shout. Oh, Christian moaned, come, coming closer to consciousness. Chris, Ed called from the other end of the terrace. Are you all right? Bub and Kate, torn between protecting Ed, escaping from the soldiers, going from going after Finlay and checking up on Christian, ran around indecisively as though they were demented. These dogs are mad, Rolly yelled. They must be exterminated. Catch them. A few wedding guests began to creep back onto the terrace to see what was going on and found a five-ring circus. Callista, Eve, and Tatiana trying to explain to their baffled husbands what was happening. Ed held down on the ground by soldiers, the dogs going nuts, the crashed vehicle with Christian Marigold and the doctor amidst the wreckage, and Olympia and Swithbert arguing at the top of their lungs, hearts, and cerebrums about removing Christian's arrow. Magnus stood apart from everyone, looking bewildered and anxious. While all this was going on, Marigold said quietly to the doctor, take the arrow out or I'll have you banished to Isabaria, where you'll do nothing but put poultices on sunburns and wipe runny noses. Do it now. And the doctor did. Christian cried out a sound of such agony for a moment, but all the commotion stopped. Marigold, holding him as and as unhappy as she had ever been in her life, was able to feel through all of her senses the pain that filled Christian, and she cried out too. Everyone who heard the double cry without knowing what was going on they were going to do, began to weep from the pure human empathy that it made them feel. Everyone but Olympia. I must go change clothes, she said, and so must the groom. The wedding will go on. She grabbed Magnus and then swept down the stairs. No one paid any attention. And in anguish, Marigold pressed, in her anguish, Marigold pressed her hands against Christian's ruined chest to still, still the pain, to stanch the blood flow and to bring him comfort. Her hands seemed very warm and had a slight vibration in them, which seemed spread up her arms into the whole of her body. The harder she pressed on the wound, the warmer that she became and the more that her own pain diminished. So she continued to press. The wedding guests around them began to wipe their tears with their trains and hems of their ermine robes or on their sleeves. Royals never carried their own handkerchiefs and someone always had handed them one when they needed it. Even the most powerful person can be dumb about simple things. The doctor blew his nose on the wad of gauze that he was ready to slap onto the great hole in Christian's chest. Let go of him, honey, he said gently to Marigold, for whom he felt a newly born affection. I need to dress that wound. 
Marigold lifted her hands, which no longer felt so warm or tingly, and wiped the blood on, onto the under, underskirt of her awful wedding gown. The doctor mopped at the blood on Christian's chest in, with a fresh piece of gauze, and then exclaimed, I don't believe it. What? Marigold asked as she gazed at Christian's face. His eyes were still closed, but his features were no longer drawn with pain. Look! Swithbert and several of the crowd around them leaned in to look too. Except for some streaks of blood left over from the doctor's untidy mopping, Christian's chest was unblemished. There was no sign of the hole the arrow had made, no scar, no nothing. His skin was as smooth and tanned as it had always been. I'm going to have to write this one up for the next medical association journal, the doctor said. There's a faction that says laughter is the best medicine and a smaller one that says love is. I think I have some empirical evidence that, but now, but by now, no one was listening. Get the boy out of here, Swithbert ordered. Take him down to the green suite. Get him some clean clothes and some broth and bread and pudding. Put a guard on him. Nobody gets near him except me. And me, Marigold said, climbing out of the wreckage. And me, Ed called from under the pile of soldiers, still pinning him down. Bub and Kate barked a lot, meaning, and me, too. Bring that troll to my quarters, Swithbert told him. I want to talk to him. He looked around. Where's the queen, he asked. I think she went to change clothes. That could take forever, the king muttered, especially if she decides to bathe the, that weasel of hers or whatever it is. Marigold went with Christian to the green suite. Swithbert and Ed and the dogs, who wouldn't be separated from Ed, went with Swithbert, to Swithbert's chambers. The wedding guests went to the great hall where the reception was being moved now that the terrace was such a mess. Even if there hadn't been a wedding, there was still feasting. What else would you do all, with all that food and so many people? had labored so over for so long. The guests didn't mind. The reception part was always more fun than the wedding part anyway. And the guests mangled and mingled and talked about the extraordinary events of the morning. The gossip traveled throughout the castle from royalty to servants to serfs and back. Again, buzz, buzz, buzz. I always knew Queen Olympia was a bad one. She treated those girls like of hers like dirt, even the triplets, and everyone knew they were her favorites. That Sir Magnus is a pretty thing, isn't he? but dumb as a box of rocks, don't you think? I knew Christian was a prince when I first laid eyes on him, and when he built that new butter churn for me, well, that just proved it, didn't it? Just shows what, what splendid taste I have in men, it does. We always knew Princess Marigold had powers the way she can read minds when she touches them, but touches you, but this? Do you think that she's a witch? I hear she even looks different now, not so plain and dowdy. Must be hard having those Valkyries for sisters. Have you seen the king? He's got a spring in his step I haven't seen in a very long time. There, there was a while when I thought he was a goner. Do you think there'll still be a wedding today? Olympia said there would be, and she's changing clothes for it, so I'd count on it. Marigold sat at Christian's bedside with her right hand, with his right hand in both hers, waiting for him to wake up. In both of hers, waiting for him to wake up. She'd taken a few minutes to strip off her hideous, destroyed wedding gown and thrown on a simple frock of pale pink linen before she'd run to the green suite to be with him but her hair still tumbled down her back and she was barefoot bub and kate quite at home in the castle now scampered between the king's turret and the green suite guarding their scattered family marigold's three little floor mops had been released from their confinement and joined in all the racing up and down stairs skidding around corners and whizzing through the legs of anyone in the way Five dogs torpedoing around the corridors created quite a navigational hazard. 
All the dogs who were on Christian's bed when he opened his eyes. They hunched around him, their heads and ears cocked and their eyes warm and wet with concern. How odd, he said. I never imagined angels would look like this. They're not angels, Marigold said, scared to death that the crash had damaged his brain. He turned toward her. Of course, he said. I see that now. They're dogs. You're the angel. Oh, Christian, she said, leaning over him. What makes you think I'm an angel? Well, I'm dead, aren't I? And you're so beautiful. Do you have wings? Can I see them? I tried to make some from a flying machine, but that didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to. But you're not dead. Not at all. You're fine. Fine? How can I be fine? I remember the flying machine crashing and the arrows. He put his hand on his chest. Puzzled, he removed the place. He rubbed the place where the arrow had been, then pushed himself up in bed. Dogs closed in around him, watching as he unbuttoned the nightshirt the doctor had dressed him in. I could have sworn, he murmured. Oh, you had an arrow in you, all right. The doctor pulled it out. But but there's no mark and no scar, no nothing. I must be dead. No, she said. And she told him what had happened and how she had somehow healed his wound. I don't understand it, Christian said, taking her hands into both of his over the backs of Flopsy, Mopsy, Bub, and Kate. Do you? Not entirely, she said, though she too was now a believer in the doctor's secondary theory of what constituted the best medicine. There's something else. Ever since I did whatever I did, I lost my curse. I can't tell what anybody's thinking anymore, and I know I was unhappy enough to sense their thoughts because I wasn't sure you were going to be all right. I've touched you and Papa and one of the maids and the doctor, and it's all gone. Whatever it was, some kind of power or energy or magic, it's used up on you. There's a part of me in you now. That must have been the way to break the curse of my birth, birth gift, the way I had to find for myself, and I never would have done that without you. The, tear that, the tear that Christian had felt in the corner of his heart seemed to knit itself up a little. So you are an angel, he said, my angel. And then he looked over. They looked at each other over the dogs as if they were there were no one else in the room. Chapter 22. While all this was going on, Ed and the king were having a long talk over a little fine bottle of wine, one just a trifle insolent with admirable flinty notes and a balanced fine grained finish containing a wee hint of tumbleweed. So, Bert, Ed said, holding out his empty tankard again, do you think there's anything you can do about this monopoly Mab's got going on? Any help you can give me? Sounds to me like you're doing just, a fine, just fine by yourself, Swithbert said, refilling both their tankards. But I'd be glad to write a letter for you to add to the ones that you've already got. And I'll get Teddy and Harry and Willie to write letters too. Can't hurt to have all of us crowned heads in your corner. Ed snapped his fingers. I'll get Christian to write me a letter. He's got a pretty good crowned head of his own all of a sudden. How about that, Swithbert said. You know, I've been thinking. We've got wedding guests, a wedding reception, a wedding cake, bridesmaids, wedding gifts, and a bride. What's missing? Ed took a wild guess. A groom? A groom we've got, and I don't mean Magnus. Oh, Ed said, and he understood. Well, I guess all we have to do is prop that arbor up, arbor thing up again and get the bishop away from the roast pig and the ladies-in-waiting. All we're missing now is a wedding. So what are we waiting for, Swithworth asked. Let's get going. Marigold and Christian were still gazing at each other over the, across the dogs, who had finally collapsed from all the excitement and were piled up snoring away, when Callista, Eve, and Tatiana came bursting into the room. 
Tatiana took queenly control. Come on, you two, we've got to get you dressed. I'm not leaving Chris, Marigold said. Just for a few minutes, Tatiana said, then you can have him back. But why, Marigold asked, I'm dressed enough. You at least need shoes and a veil. And Christian needs to brush his hair. Hi, I'm Callista, your brother Teddy's wife. And this is Eve, your brother Harry's wife. And Tatiana, queen of Middle Zanabar, married to King Willie, will be your new sisters-in-law. Sisters-in-law, Christian said, looking from Callista, Eve, and Tatiana to Marigold and back again in complete bewilderment. My brothers? Hasn't anybody told you, Callista asked? Now that you're the crown prince heir to the throne of Zendelphia, your husband material for Marigold and the wedding's got to go on are going to go on with you instead of Magnus as the groom. I'm the what? Christian asked. Some of his hazy old memories surfaced a bit. Could those babes in the blue baskets have been Teddy and Harry? Could the long flight of stone steps and the little girl chasing the puppy have been the castle have been in the castle of Zendelphia? Marigold stood abruptly, furious tears pooling in in her eyes. Whose idea is this? she demanded. In the first place, I don't care if Christian is royalty. I'd marry him if he were a goat herd. And in the second place, he hasn't asked me yet. And in the third place, I'll not have him railroaded into something he doesn't want to do. Where's mother? I'll tell her myself that there's going that there's going to be no wedding today. But I want one, Christian said, trying to get out from under the pile of dogs. The only thing I want in the world is for you to be my wife. We can sort the rest out later. Oh, Marigold said. Her sisters grabbed her and dragged her off to get dressed. Swithbert and Ed be bring, bringing clean clothes, shaving gear, and explanations for Christian rushed in as the sisters rushed out. In what seemed like no time, the wedding guests were assembled on the terrace, reassembled on the terrace, which had been hastily put to rights by the platoon of servants. The audience couldn't be blamed for casting anxious glances over the parapet, considering what had happened from the direction only a couple of hours earlier. But all they saw was the oncoming twilight and its swatches of primrose and cinnabar, amethyst, and ultramarine. None but Christian knew that this was Marigold's favorite time of day with all of her favorite colors. Teddy, Harry, Willie, Ed, and the five dogs stood waiting beside the bishop on one side of the altar, and the triplets stood on the other side as Swithbert and Marigold started down the aisle between the little gilt chairs. The princess was radiant in her pale pink linen, starting a fad in wedding gowns that lasted for decades, which had been just the right match for Christian's crystal on a chain around his neck, the rubies in, in her best everyday tiara, and the cloud of plain unadorned veiling that followed her down the aisle. While everyone was watching the bride and her father approach, Christian stepped up to the altar, waiting with a look on his face that, if you didn't know how happy he was, might have been mistaken for mental impairment. So much had happened so fast that his mind was still trying to catch up and hadn't just made it yet. The fact that he was standing next to his newly found brothers, who would be his brothers-in-law, wasn't even the half of it. Neither was the fact that that, that he... Discovered his birthright. His birthday was April nineteenth, the same day as Marigold's. They were both fire signs, the most confident and dynamic combination. The real half of it was that, in the deepest part of himself, he knew that this was what he'd been headed to toward for as long as he could remember. He'd been preparing for a life with Marigold and for a life as a good king. The wedding guest, when they turned in his direction, caught their breaths. They didn't think he looked mentally impaired. 
not at all, especially considering the last time that they'd seen him, he'd been wearing dirty lint livery, hanging onto a rickety, rickety flying machine and yelling at a couple of dogs to run faster. Now he was cleaned up, shaved, and splendid in fine leather breeches, an embroidered waist, waistcoat, and single diamond earring in his newly pierced ear. He wore a crown, sparkling with gems, a borrowed crown to be sure, but who except Christian and Swithbert had to know that? But the guests were also looking as bewildered as Christian felt. Where was Magnus? Who was the new bridegroom? Who was this new bridegroom? And where was Olympia? Marigold and Christian stood behind the bishop, hands clasped, eyes locked, knees weak, and heads reeling, repeating words they unequivocally meant with all their hearts. Just before they were asked the question best answered by I do, there came a commotion at the arched doorway. The guest could be excused for flinching and ducking re reflexively. They were already had already been through a great deal more commotion than most had been used to. What's going on here? What are you doing behind my back? Olympia came through the archway dressed in the most extravagant array, even for her, of silk, jewels, and furs that anyone had ever seen. Stop the wedding, she roared, rushing over to fin with Finley, freshly bathed and blown dry, clinging desperately to her shoulder. This is the groom, she dragged Magnus behind her. Not him, she pointed at Christian. We know nothing about him. He's an imposter, a servant, she spat. There was a total stunned silence as she pulled Magnus down the aisle. He wouldn't look at anybody, just stumbled along after her, his head bowed. Bub and Kate, as disoriented by the day's events as anyone else, went into fierce protective mode as they saw the furious queen bearing down on Ed and Chris. Bub ran at her, barking his head off, and Kate circled her, jumping and yipping and having a grand dramatic time. The three floor mops, not wanting to be left out of the fun with their new friends and having their own reason for wanting to have a go at Olympia, joined in, crowding her, yapping, bumping, jumping for Finley, creating new definitions of chaos. The queen let go of Magnus, who hastily stepped back from the pandemonium. Stop it, Olympia said, flapping her hands at the animals and backing away. Someone get those monsters away from me. No one moved. Perhaps they were pausing to figure out just exactly how to enter the fray or what would most effectively lure the dogs away or how best to extricate the queen. Or maybe they were thinking that it was high time Olympia got what she deserved. Whatever their thoughts were would remain a mystery. What happened was that Olympia backed against the terrace wall, the broken part that Christian, that Christian, what with all that was happening to him, had never finished repairing. And with the dog still after her, playing or defending their loved ones or just having her giving her a hard time, who can ever tell with dogs? She tried to back up some more, and the wall crumbled and gave way. Her feet went up, and she flipped backward over the side of the in a welter of gold lace, heavy brocade, thick furs, snapped necklaces, and showered pearls across the terrace in one frantic in one frantic ferret. By the time anyone from the stunned assemblage reached the wall to grab for her, it was too late. All they could all that could be seen in the fast running water, swollen with the mountain snowmelt, was a puff of brocade skirt and a single sil silvery shoe with a curved heel and a bow on the toe. And even as they watched, those disappeared around a bend. Rollo, the king ordered in a voice commanded that no one had heard from him in a very long time. Go downriver and find her. 
Rolla was with a sinking feeling that he already knew how they would find her, rushed off to assemble his troops. In this small, strong voice, Swithbert said, continue with the ceremony. We've had enough interrupted weddings around here for one day. We're going to get one finished. Marigold and Christian were on their knees, consoling the bewildered, whimpering dogs who had the feeling that they'd done something seriously wrong, but didn't know what. Magnus, still standing where Olympia had left him, stammered, but, but, but what about what about me? I'm supposed to be the bridegroom. Not anymore, Swithbert said. Now sit down and keep quiet while we get Marigold and Chris lit, hitched, and then you and I are going to have a chat. If things work out right, maybe we can find a spot for you in your own little house manor, your own little manor house. Magnus shut his mouth and sat down so suddenly that it looked as if his knees had been hit from behind. Marigold and Christian finally got to say, I do. And when it came time to kiss the bride, Christian, who hadn't known what to do when Meg kissed him, somehow knew exactly what to do when the kissy was Marigold. Then the guests rushed off to the great hall to carry on with the feasting that had been interrupted by the interrupted wedding. Marigold and her sisters clustered around Swithbert. Oh, Papa, they said, hugging him. I'm sure Rolla will find Mother and bring her home. I'm not, Swithbert said, dry-eyed. And, and if he does, I'll have to send her straight to the dungeon. Well, the girls could hardly argue with him about that, but under the circumstances, they kept tactful silence. Christian observed this and approved. It's exactly what the etiquette book would have advised. Restrain from bad-mouthing somebody when their situation looks particularly bleak. He was happy to see that what he'd learned from Ed's book applied to royal life as well as to forest life, since he might soon actually need to know how to address a, du a duke or recognize an oyster fork. You girls go down and mingle with the guests. I need to think. I'll join you later. So King Swithbert went off to his turret to think about what life might be like without Olympia, or maybe with an Olympia under better control than she'd been up to now, and what life would be like with Marigold gone off to Christian's kingdom. I'll go with you, Bert, Ed said. I've got some thinking to do too. Swithbert wasn't used to people treating him like an ordinary person, but he decided he liked it, at least from Ed. So he said, come on then, and off they went. Do you think it looks right to go to a party when your mother is, well, who knows where? Eve, the pro most proper triplet, asked. To tell you the truth, I don't care how it looks, Marigold said. This is my final wedding, and I'm going to enjoy it. When somebody is plotting to do you in, it's a little hard to feel sad when something bad happens to her. Her eyes filled for a moment, and she said softly, I just wish I knew how she could ever think of doing such a thing to her own daughter. Being one of the few royals practical enough to carry her own handkerchief, she wiped her eyes and turned to Christian. Come along, my dearest heart, she said. Let's go to our party. And they went off down the stairs surrounded by dogs. Eventually, the other sisters joined them, and they all ended up having a very good time, in spite of this need to be remind themselves to look somber from time to time, since there were no words about no word about Olympia. By the time the festivities ended and everyone staggered off to bed, there was still no word. At breakfast time, Swiftbirth announced that all, that all Rollo and his men had been able to find was a single shoe with a bow on the toe, so they were calling off the search. Wherever Olympia was, she would have to get along with one of those only one shoe. Just before dinner, when the last of the wedding guests had finally packed up and gone home, Swiftbirth called to his family 
called his family together in the library. He shut the doors and said, girls and boys too, I have some interesting news for you. Mrs. Clover came to me with a secret that she'd been keeping for years, one that she's kept under until now only because Olympia threatened her with the Iron Maiden if she told. This will come to shock you, girls, but I have to tell you that Olympia was not your real mother. What? Eight voices said in unison. That's right. She pretended to be expecting. She wanted to avoid the real thing because she thought it would be too hard on her figure. And she threatened Mrs. Clover into bringing babies to her in secret when the proper time came. Mrs. Clover says the babies were from decent village girls who had made mistakes and wanted good homes for their children. Mrs. Clover says that she told the girls only that their babies would be going to noble families, so no one but Olympia and Mrs. Clover knew the whole truth. But then, who are we? The triplets asked, holding each other's hands. Swiftbert scratched his head. I don't know. The village Mrs. Clover brought you all from was burned to the ground and the inhabitants scattered during the last Visigoth raids when you girls, when you were little girls. So I guess you'll just have to be who you've always been. So you're, you're not our papa, Marigold asked, their lower lip trembling. Christian took her hand and stroked it. King Swithbert took the other one. I think I am, he said. I'm the one who, who loved you all from the first. I'm the one who loved you from the first moment I laid eyes on you and who walked the floor with you when you were sick and played games with you and taught you to ride and shoot and cheat at cards. What else makes somebody a father? You're right, Marigold said, and put the whole thing out of her mind, relieved to know that she was not related in any way to Olympia, who had done none of the things Swithbert had done for her, and further relieved to know that why she had always felt as if she didn't fit in the life that she had. Yet somehow it seemed to fit better now that she knew all the parts of it. Secrets have a way of making themselves felt, even before you know there's a secret. Christian spoke up. Then Ed's my father. He did all those things for me except ride. We never had a horse. He knew that he had another father over in Zandelphia, but he didn't. that didn't mean Ed wasn't the real thing, too. And because he'd learned how sick King Beaufort was, Ed might soon be the only one. I'll teach you to ride, Marigold said. Will that make you my father? Christian asked, teasing. So I apologize to every one of you, Swithbert said humbly, for marrying this person who was so bad for all of us. But it was an arranged marriage, Papa, Marigold said. You had no choice. I could have resisted harder the way you did, Marigold, when all those suitors came calling, or I could have controlled your mom. I could have been a better king. He put his head in his hands. I failed all of us and my whole kingdom terribly. I just feel awful. Start now, Ed said. Be better now. If you, could have, <clears throat> if you could have done better before, you would have. But now you have to act. You have your act on the ball, and you can do better. So start now. He was sounding parental, and he knew it. But once a person had started with that job, it was hard habit to break. Maybe breaking it was impossible. And didn't everybody need a little parenting from time to time, no matter how old or how royal they got? All you have to do is keep your shoulders to the grindstone and your nose to the wheel. Swithbert lifted his head. Thank you, Ed. That's good advice. I think I owe you one now. Okay, Ed said. And about Queen Mab. The epilogue. One year later. 
people eager for the ribbon-cutting thronged to the riverside terrace of Swithbert's castle. As they milled around, they could talk about nothing but the changes of the past year, so many that it was hard to believe it had only been a year since they had gathered here for Marigold's weddings to Magnus and then to Christian. On this day, every person in attendance was wearing one of Marigold's fragrances, now in full production by the ladies of both kingdoms of Sandelphia and Beauravage. Once she'd been able to leave the castle and explore the forest, she'd found many species of exotic flowers that made her sense much more complex and interesting. The demand for them was spreading throughout the known world and adding avenues to both kingdoms' treasuries. Hello, Sir Magnus, Lady Buffleton said. How are you? Your new manor house is about finished, I see. Yes, my lady, Magnus said. I've been doing some of the work myself. I built a special room where I work on my maps, and some of them are pretty spectacular, if I do say so myself. I'm selling them to both Queen Mab and the Tooth Troll Limited, he added proudly. No one ever gets lost now. He handed her his card designed with a little map of his estate. I have P-mail too, he said, pleased to be, pleased to be so modern. All of the local kingdoms were linked now by P-mail system established by Christian with the aid of Walter and Carrie and their offspring, who now that he was king of Zendelphia wanted easy communication with Swithbert, Ed, Tatiana, Willie, and the bunch of new friends too. Female, Lady Buffleton mused, impressed by how relaxed and pleasant Sir Magnus was. Funny, she'd always thought of him as a nervous sort. Her unmarried daughter came to mind, perhaps the two of them. She was interrupted by her matchmaking thoughts. Uh, in, she it was interrupted from her matchmaking thoughts by King Swithbert strolling by and greeting her. Oh, your majesty, she said to him. I must say the new decorations to the castle are simply, well, they're absolutely, well... Oh, I know, Swithbert said. Not everybody thinks baby teeth make good building material, but it is my castle, and I think they look splendid. We've been able to pave almost over almost all of the north turret with them since Ed opened up his tooth troll operation. Ed's eight brothers are helping him. Nepotism is a troll tradition, you know. Same as royalty. And having Ed living here was really has really livened up the place. He's fierce... He's a fierce snip-snap-snorium player. I owe him a fortune, which is remarkable, since we both cheat. Excuse me, I have to talk to Marigold. Marigold and her sisters were admiring Callista and Eve's newest Norfolk Terrier puppies from their best litter yet. They thought its success had something to do with their improved states of mind, since they found out that they didn't have to be queens of Zendelphia. The puppies were four fat furry bundles on silver leashes. They had rolled and they had rolled and tumbled and played so much that their leashes were tangled and the sisters were down on their knees trying to unsnarl them. Are you almost ready, Marigold? Swithbert asked. As soon as I get, I get this pup freed, she said. Ah, there. She stood dusting off her skirt. Is Christian ready? Waiting at the river, Swithbert signaled to the trumpeter who blew a loud ta-ra, ta-ra that silenced the throng. Time for the ceremony to begin, Swithbert said, and he led the way down the stairs through the castle out the front gates, where Rolla was back on duty again, quite chastised, quite chastened, after a few months in the dungeon from misusing his authority against Christian and Ed, and then receiving a medal for helping recover the lost heir of Zendelphia. Across the drawbridge and around the side of the castle to the river's edge, there Christian stood waiting, admiring his creation. Marigold slipped her hand onto the crook of his arm. It's beautiful, she whispered in his ear, the one 
the one in which he wore his diamond earring. I'm so proud of you. It does look good, doesn't it? He said, putting his hand over hers. And I can't think of anyone I'd rather have christen it. Across the river hung a splendid new bridge, which Christian had designed and helped build. He called it a suspension bridge, and its arc was so clean and graceful that it made you stop and stare and think of things that weren't bridges at all, like eagles and, and courage and love. As soon as all the people were assembled, Swiftbert and Christian stood side by side and signaled for silence. Welcome to the Zandelphia Beauvage Bridge, linking our two kingdoms in friendship and commerce, Christian said. He didn't mention the ingenuous devices that the event of the invasion could make the bridge collapse, rendering it useless to enemies, and then restore it to its proper shape when the, damage, when the danger had passed. Survival depends upon acknowledging reality and on keeping the, nece keeping the necessary secrets. Swithworth went on, you're all invited to walk across the bridge to have a cool drink and sweet meats at the cave castle of King Christian and Queen Marigold of Zendelphia, and then cross back over for feasting and, excite and entertainment at my castle in the beautiful peaceful kingdom of Beau Rivage. So as soon as Marigold cuts the ribbon, let's go. Before an excited crowd, which included the blacksmith who had been knighted for his outstanding deed of leaving pieces of failed flying machinery stored in the dungeon, and Queen Mab, who had looked rather pushed out of shape, though quite a bit rested, Christian handed Marigold the sharp dirk that he kept in his boot, and she severed the purple ribbon across the end of the bridge as neat as you please. Then she linked arms with her father on one side and her husband on the other, and they started across. This time last year, Swiftbert said, if anybody had told me that I'd be a widower having the time of my life and that my precious Marigold would be queen of a kingdom next door and that her castle would be a magical crystal cave that made her feel as if she were living inside stars, Marigold added, and that she'd be married to her best friend and the love of her life, and that he'd be a king, Christian continued, and someone whose inventions were in great demand, and that he'd married to the queen of his heart, and the happiest, and he was the happiest person in the world. We'd have said that person would be a lying lunatic, they, all, they said in unison. Then they laughed all the way to the edge of the bridge. Once they reached Zendelphia, Christian and Marigold looked at each other's eyes. She said, as long as we're with each other, we know we're in exactly the right place, he finished. The entrance to the cave had been fancied up and as befits a king's alternative residence, and a riverside terrace to match Swiftbirds had been constructed next to the waterfall from which Christian had first seen Marigold. Of course, all of Ed's collections had been moved into Swiftbirds' dungeons, so the cave didn't look quite as it had years before, a year before. It was now more magnificent than ever, comfortably furnished and gilt a glittering extravagantly in the summer sunshine. The royalty, take, the royalty taking tours of this alternative castle began to wish that they too had thought about living in a cave. Marigold and Christian were already responsible for starting several other trends, such as watching the sunrise in their PJs. This one died out quickly as most royals didn't want to get up early. Eating vegetarian, wearing a single diamond earring, and using part of their residence as a home for unwanted children, this died out pretty fast, too, as most royals don't want to be bothered. Of course, for Christian and Marigold, these weren't trends at all. They were just the way a new king and queen of Zendelphia wanted to live their lives. 
One trend that Christian hoped would, would die out, at least with Marigold, was her awful jokes. Now that she could get out and about, she was hearing more and more of them. But they were all as bad as the ones that she heard from the stable boy. Although he had to admit that he rather liked one. What side of a dragon has the most scales? Why the outside, of course. The sun shone in golden spears and birds sang cantatas as the guests drank lemonade and ate lark's tongue pate, pate and honey tarts. Marigold and Christian and Swiftbert stood together with Callista, Teddy, Eve and Harry, Tatiana and Willie, and their frisky and adorable assorted children, watching the guests pack away the f- free refreshments. Slightly off to one side, Ed stood with Wendelin, the red-haired troll maiden. Her father had had a sudden change of heart regarding Ed when he learned about the Tooth Troll Limited and the fact that he'd opened, he'd operated out of King Swithbert's castle, not to mention that Ed now had an odd medal. They were as happy as they could ever remember being in their entire lives. They couldn't know that, ex- that the next day would bring news of a woman who one year ago had been fished out of a river many miles downstream, half drowned, wearing one bow-toed silvery shoe, clutching a sopping ferret, and suffering from amnesia. It seemed that she had recently regained her memory. Carpe diem ever after. <laughs>